are about to listen to the full interview with Paul Owens. Paul Owens has spent the last decade researching the mysteries surrounding Overton Bridge. His book, The Baron of Rainbow Bridge, digs deep into the history of the area and highlights many paranormal occurrences associated with the bridge. We spoke with him about what he has learned through his years of research. We hope you enjoy. My name is Paul Owens, and I am a writer and author of the book, The Baron of Rainbow Bridge, Overton's Death Leaping Dog Mystery Unraveled. I was born in Glasgow, Scotland. As a child, right up until my 20s, I lived in Dumbarton, which is a town in the west of Scotland, famous for whiskey production and shipbuilding. The town is also renowned as the home of the world's greatest dog leaping mystery, occurring at Overton Bridge, where huge volumes of dogs have inexplicably thrown themselves from the parapets and walls of this ancient country bridge to their deaths and injury. And how did you first learn about the dog leaping mystery surrounding Overton? I first began visiting Overton Bridge when I was a child, where my mother, Christina Owens, would take me to the Overton estate to help me learn to walk. Then later, as a primary school pupil of around eight years old, I would play around Overton with my school friends. And then next to my teens, I would visit the bridge and Overton House with friends when it was used as a Christian missionary training school. So in a sense, the fabric of Overton's story has always been part of my life. And I know you've had a supernatural experience at the bridge. Can you describe what happened? Yes, my supernatural experience happened at Overton Bridge um, when I was researching for my book in 2007. And um, I was with a friend at the time, and I had taken some photographs of the walls and parapets along the bridge when suddenly I experienced what felt like a phantom finger prodding me in the back twice, which caused me to jolt backwards. I was totally taken aback and had no idea what had actually happened to me. When I had this strange otherworldly experience, I had no thought in my mind about ghosts or strange presences which are said to lurk around this bridge. It was something completely unexplained and out of the blue. I called over to my friend who had wandered off the bridge and uh, I asked him if anything strange had happened to him and he replied, no, it had not. And so I shared my experience with him and uh, I was quite astonished at what had taken place that day. Have you heard any other ghost stories about the bridge? Like, Have you heard of other sightings from people? Yeah, there's countless stories of supernatural and supernormal events occurring in and around Overton Bridge. I suppose the earliest mention of a supernatural occurrence took place in the 18th century, just northwest of where the bridge now stands, when a local whisky smuggler named Roderick McTavish encountered the strange otherworldly experience of a band of fairies dancing in a fairy ring at Overton. It was said that shepherds and travellers who passed through Overton often heard what could only be described as weird music being played by these fairies and a very unearthly strain, a strange tone. And McTavish, although he was startled by his own experience, uh, it was said that he had toasted and drank whiskey with the fairies 
winning Foxglove Cups until the cock crowed the next day when they all suddenly disappeared. And so this is what happened a long time ago. This is one of the early supernatural stories. And so our dogs, who are said to be super sensitive animals and possess a sixth sense or perhaps extrasensory perception, our dogs experiencing supernatural entities such as the fairies around Overton Bridge, much the same way that McTavish had done centuries earlier. Yeah, so how many dogs have jumped from the bridge and, and how do we know like this amount? Like where do we find the information about the jumping dogs? Right, well, because Overton Bridge is located in the Scottish countryside, it's virtually impossible to possess an accurate record of the dog leaping spree that is occurring there. If the bridge was located in the centre of the town, near the shops, then such dog leaping incidents would have plenty of witnesses. But it is because of the remoteness of the location of Overton Bridge that makes it impossible to know for certain exactly how many dogs have leapt off the ancient structure. I, a few years ago, I spoke to Sergeant Christine Boyd at the police headquarters in Glasgow, and I asked her if the police kept any records of the dog-leaping incidents occurring at the bridge. I was informed that Strathclyde Police do not hold any such information. So, the number of dog deaths and injuries of dogs leaping from this bridge has been verified by the vast number of dog owners and other witnesses who have observed dogs leaping from the spooky bridge. And I interviewed countless pet owners myself whose dogs have leapt from this bridge when researching my book, The Barn of Rainbow Bridge. And the earliest official reports of the bizarre dog leaping riddle were really published um, from what I could see in the local newspapers in Dumbarton. For example, the Lennox Herald and the Dumbarton and Vale of Leaven reporter. However, the mystery was picked up by the tabloids and circulated around the world. Some put the number of dogs that have leapt from the Overton Bridge at over 100, while others, like the Sun newspaper, had it at 600. But whatever um, version of events you, you choose to accept, one startling fact remains. An enormous number of dogs have leapt off this 60-feet bridge without any uh, rational explanation. Are there any stories of people jumping from the bridge? Not to my knowledge. Um, I haven't heard of people jumping from the bridge. It seems to be a peculiar animal mystery where it seems to be dogs that jump from this bridge. There have been some reports that uh, sheep had jumped from this bridge, although these reports are not verified. And to the best of my knowledge, it seems just to be dogs. Uh, why it's animals and not humans is even stranger and it seems to add to the mystery and so i mean one of the things that really struck me about your book was just the the rich history around overton and the person who ultimately built it could you talk about baron overton and who he was yeah certainly um it's really kind of um when you talk about baron overton baron overton was the person who actually um constructed um this uh, this bridge it was really baron overton who is responsible for the whole story in a sense. And he was born near Rutherglen in 1843. And his name was John Campbell White. And uh, he was a wealthy millionaire, deeply religious Calvinist, who owned a vast chemical empire at Rutherglen in Scotland. And there he produced 
chemicals, primarily bichromate of potash or chromium dioxide, which was primarily used in the tanning and dyeing industries. It was from the manufacture of these chemicals that he made his vast fortune and the monies from which to build Overton Bridge on his princely country estate next to his castle. And, and why did this bridge matter so much to Baron Overton? What was his purpose behind building it? The bridge um, and the building of it was um, really started in 1892, and it took a full three years to complete, uh, being opened in June 1895. So just to kind of describe the bridge to your listeners, Overton Bridge is an eerie gothic-looking structure which looks as if it came straight from a Hammer House horror film with its rows of bulging parapets which overhang the tarnished stone walls of this ancient mystical walkway. It really looks like something that would not be amiss in an Edgar Allan Poe chiller. The length of the bridge itself is 135 feet and it was constructed with three large spans which cross the Overton Burn below the largest span being 32 feet. The bridge itself and the adjacent carriageway was built and carved out by around 170 men. And so this was a bridge that involved considerable um, time and considerable monies and considerable construction over a period of time. And the bridge was important to Baron Overton because he was fulfilling his late father, James White's dream. James White had built Overton Castle in 1863, where he lived with his wife Fanny Campbell up until his own death. It was James White's great dream to span a large chasm or gorge which existed beside his castle, but in order to build the bridge, he would require to purchase the adjacent Garshake farmlands, which were owned by the Reverend Dixon Swan. But his request was turned down repeatedly by Dixon Swan, and James White failed in his great quest to build a bridge. It was therefore left to his son, Baron Overton, to see that his late father's great dream was accomplished. You know, this was a a huge thing to him. And the Baron made it his epitaph to build this colossal structure, and this would be his crowning achievement and his lasting legacy at Overton, the construction of this majestic um, bridge. And for Baron Overton, who was a deeply religious man, This building of a bridge was like a divine mission. He believed that God had instructed him to build this overpass. He would often pray in the drawing room of his castle, called the Angel Room, for the building of this bridge. Indeed, when the bridge was completed, he and his wife, Lady Overton, would wander across the bridge and pray and meditate in their favourite parapet on the north side of the bridge. So Baron Overton then had wished to build a divine walkway, a place that when someone crossed it would experience the presence of God. And it's a strange contradiction that within this holy isle, dark animal dog-leaping deaths have been plaguing this location for over a century. I know that also in your book you mentioned that he hid some items inside the bridge. What were these things he he hid inside the bridge, and, and why did he put them there? Yeah, the bridge itself contains a number of mysterious objects which are hidden inside of this bridge, and not many people are aware of this. When the bridge was opened in 1895, a large crowd of people assembled on the bridge with Baron and Lady Overton. 
There were also three clergymen who blessed and sanctified the bridge with prayers and biblical psalms were read aloud. So it seems that even at its birth, it was a most unusual bridge. It was a kind of heavenly bridge. Now, after these rituals had taken place on the opening day, at the eastern end of this bridge, Baron Overton's wife, whose name is Grace Eliza McClure, otherwise known as Lady Overton, placed a large stone over a hollow in the bridge wall, which contained a hidden time capsule. Now, this time capsule contained a number of strange objects, including a mysterious hoard of coins, newspapers dated 1895, a book, and photographs of Baron and Lady Overton. Also placed inside the stone of the bridge that day was a very unusual letter on which the words were written, Every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. So here was a bridge dedicated to God, but why has Baron Overton's bridge for more than a century been a terrifying place of animal and human deaths? This is the strange paradox of Overton Bridge. And could you talk about his wife's connection to the bridge and, and what was the significance to her? What was its significance to her after Baron Overton passed? Lady Overton um, had a very strong connection with the bridge and in life she held Overton Bridge as a place of special significance. She held the bridge in special reverence. Lady Overton had a very strong personal connection with the place and indeed it was her name that was carved into the very stonework of the bridge itself. She had also opened the bridge in 1895 and it was she that placed the last stone on the bridge that day. Indeed, when Lady Overton once had returned from visiting the continent, she was greeted by two Scottish pipers who crossed the bridge while playing the bagpipes as she was driven across Overton Bridge. And so, in a strange way, this was Lady Overton's bridge. Yet, in 1908, after the unexpected death of her husband, Baron Overton from Plural Pneumonia, it was said that she wandered across the bridge, heartbroken and alone. Could it be that what dogs are picking up on Overton Bridge is the sad memory or ghost of Lady Overton? Is it the ghost of Lady Overton, the White Lady, as she is known, who is returning to this bridge time and time again, still looking for her long-lost, dearly departed husband? So there's there's weird dichotomy between this bridge being a monument to God and how Baron Overton actually acquired the funds to build it. Could you talk through what his uh, his his work was and how he actually earned the money to build this bridge? Yeah, Baron Overton himself um, was, as I say, a very wealthy man, and um, it wasn't through accident or chance that he had this kind of um, wealth, because Baron Overton himself was in fact um, the owner of a large um, chemical works uh, in Rutherglen, Scotland. And this chemical works um, employed hundreds and hundreds of men, and they were involved in the chemicals trade. And um, he, uh, through the manufacture of um, chrome crystals, became a, a virtual, what you would might call a billionaire today. And he manufactured all these chemicals. And um, 
with this uh, enormous wealth, he used this money to um, build Overton Bridge. When he built this bridge, as I said earlier, um, a collection of coins were put inside the bridge. And these were some of the coins that were um, used to purchase the bridge in the first place. But the strange tale about Baron Overton's work was that although he was making a vast fortune out of the chemicals, hundreds and hundreds of men at his factory of horrors were being destroyed by the chemicals, uh, where their noses and the cartilages of their noses were all wearing away from their faces. They were um, covered in chrome holes and were actually effectively being um, destroyed by the chemicals on a daily basis. So... It is said that every stone in Overton Bridge was built from the dark chemical house of horrors which paid for it in the first place. So it is, in a sense, a very dark bridge indeed. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the chemical works had a horrible effect on the workers, but it also had a pretty negative effect on the land around it as well. Could you talk about what, what it did to the surrounding area? When the, the chemicals... Um, he was manufacturing these these chemicals. Um, his objective was to obviously produce as much of these chemicals as he could because obviously the more that he created, the more his great wealth would be pouring into his um, bank accounts. However, although the men at the factory were earning him a vast fortune, they were being eaten away by the curse of the crystal chemicals which were destroying them, their bodies, their families at home were dying of the chemicals when they touched their clothes and they washed their clothes, they became contaminated. So, in a sense, it was destroying everything around it. The chemicals were like a curse, but they also were destroying the lands around uh, Rutherglen and around that whole area in Glasgow um, because um, the, the wildlife were all being destroyed, the rivers were being polluted, the whole land was contaminated. So, although these, curse, these crystals were, in a sense, gold-making, uh, they were like the Midas touch. They carried a dark curse. But all who made the money from these chemicals were, in a sense, tarnished. And I think this is one of the reasons that Overton Bridge carries a dark, menacing aura, a dark presence, because the stones that it was made for, made from, were, in effect, bought and purchased by the death-dealing, destructive crystals which built it in the first place. Did Baron Overton, did he ever acknowledge or apologize for the damage he caused to his workers or the surrounding area? Did he ever come to terms with that? He was himself, Baron Overton, in denial for a very long time about his death-dealing practices in the workplace that he was uh, allowing to continue. Many people questioned him over a long period of time about the sanitary conditions at his workplaces and um, he would uh, either brush it off or he would say that um, there was no need, uh, that the place was uh, perfectly uh, clean and habitable. Uh, and then when the inspectors would call round to check the factories, he would make some small changes uh, as if um, you know he was making a vast improvement when in fact there was no real improvement in the uh, hideous conditions that these men had to work in. And um, so, as long as the money was being brought in by the chemicals, why change anything? Because in his life, he was living in an enormous castle. 
He was driving up and down in a horse-driven carriage to church every Sunday. He was living a, a princely, lavish lifestyle. And uh, he himself was uh, a deeply religious man. But the dark side of the coin was that the other side, the flip side of the coin was that his entire saintly life, his, his pious life, and his princely life was really created by the damnable works that he was doing in his chemical plant with the destruction of thousands of working men. Yeah, I mean, I read some of the some of your sources about the, the actual writings of the fa- factory at the time, and it's really just like so, I don't know, it's pretty unbelievable what people went through to work there and what he kind of turned a blind eye to. It's, it's I don't know. Yep. It's, didn't it kind of lead to the formation of a labor party in the area that kind of formed around his mistreatment of the workers? Well, um, in many of the documents, uh, in the White Slave series documents, which were published at the time uh, when these, uh, these foul practices were occurring, um, the person who wrote these leaflets uh, was, in fact, the, the labor leader, Care Hardy, so Keir Hardy actually attacked Baron Overton's practices and exposed them in the press, which obviously didn't go down particularly well with Baron Overton. And uh, Baron Overton, because his factory was in Rutherglen, the local newspaper there, the Rutherglen Reformer, was a staunch defender of Baron Overton. And so whenever the Labour leader would attack Baron Overton and his practices, <laughs> you had the other side the Rutherglen reformer trying to make it seem like this man was a, you know, a saintly character. He was pious. He was a great uh, fundraiser. He did all these great works. It sounds like modern American politics to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, um, how? So there's this. He has a dream at some point, which I think is just like a perfect metaphor for his treatment of his of the land and people. He dreams that he's a caterpillar who turns into a moth and eats everything in its path. What is the significance of this dream? Maybe describe the dream and what its significance was, and, and how did you first yeah. learn about it? Well, yeah, he had this dream that, that, you know, he saw a sort of caterpillar, and it turned into a moth, and as he looked at it, he began to see that he was that, he was that, that moth that was eating everything himself. I think the meaning of the dream really just is something to do with Baron Overton's self-conscience that he realized deep down somewhere that he was in fact living what he would call a very sinful lifestyle as a Calvinist Christian. Uh, although um, I think for much of his existence he tried to push this stuff to the back of his mind, that he wasn't the kind of guy who was eating everything in his path. Uh, and so he tried to uh, and did a lot of um, charitable works uh, where he was giving uh, all sorts of money to, to people uh, Bible societies and you name it to try and um, justify what he was doing. But I think the meaning of the dream is quite clear. It's really a self-realization that he himself wasn't, in fact, some kind of monster that was creating his own divine paradise from that dark, sinister uh, lifestyle which he uh, was part of. And how did you first learn about this dream? Where did you where did you read about his account of this? Ah, uh, yeah, well, I read that particular story. It was in a, a journal uh, in a special collections. Uh, which I uh, mentioned uh, there was a lot of diaries and all kinds of stuff like that so I, I kind of got that from there along with some other uh, information uh, much of the factual information about 
the chemical plant and the diaries that that you know that that seemed to register every single thing that they had done there. So it was an invaluable source of information. That's amazing. Why is the bridge? Why do you call the bridge the Rainbow Bridge? The Rainbow Bridge is um is really a place in Norse mythology where the gods ascend from heaven to earth and uh, to cross a bridge and converse every day. It's a place where heaven and earth collide, in a sense. The word Overton in Celtic mythology just means a thin place. It's a place where heaven and earth have overlapped. So, in a sense, Overton is a real-life example of a rainbow bridge. It's a place where heaven and earth have drawn close. And uh, thin places are places where um, people experience um, supernatural presences, but they also experience spirits of people who have lived there in the past, and they also experience sometimes divine uh, and godly type um, voices speaking to them. So when you cross Overton Bridge, it is a, a thin place. It's a kind of melting pot of spirituality. It's a kind of rainbow bridge where heaven and earth have drawn very close and sometimes when one crosses this particular bridge they are touched with all kinds of strange sensations or uh, strange spiritual presences at times. So at some point in the story, Baron Overton, he invests in an alchemical venture, um, which just seems such a departure from his his religious leanings. How did he get introduced to this and, and what was it and what came of it? Baron Overton, as I say, he was a prominent Alvinist Christian and he was a member of the High Free Church in Dumbarton. He would attend this church once a week. Uh, he would drive down in his horse-driven carriage. He was a, an elder, latterly, in this church. And um, in his own castle, Overton House, as it's now known, but its real name was Overton Castle when he lived there. It wasn't Overton House, but Overton Castle. And in that castle, um, there is a room called the Angel Room. And on the ceiling of this magnificent room, it's adorned with murals of angels uh, and angels floating down through the skies, carrying baskets of roses and all this kind of stuff. He was a very um, deeply religious person. And in this room, he would often pray with his followers and with people from the church. They would meet in this room uh, to pray and read scriptures into the night. And so Baron Overton then was, was very involved in his, his religious beliefs. However, being a chemist, and anyone who knows anything about chemistry, the history of chemistry will know that when you go back to the origins of chemistry, it is in fact based in alchemy. That is, the idea that gold or silver can be produced from base metals such as tin or copper, things like that, mercury. So Baron Overton was a chemist, and... He was very interested in the chemical side of things. Although he was a very religious man, Calvinist, he began to look into this kind of idea that perhaps from chemistry that gold could be produced from these base metals and mercury or whatever it happened to be. This was something that he did not really want people to know about. It was kept top secret. And for many years he was in denial about any part in the existence of this project, uh, which became known as the Cosmoid Project. And Baron Overton himself, if you look around his um, castle and even his bridge, you will find many um, symbols and images that are in fact 
alchemical images, which seemed to suggest that he was deeply involved in the, the practice of this um, sacred, divine, and yet cursed art. And what was his goal in, in dealing with alchemy? Like, what was, his, what was he hoping to achieve? I think he was involved in alchemy just really like anyone else would want to be because anyone who could work out a way to transmutate base metals into gold could become one of the richest men in the world. You know, if you managed to do such a thing, you would become wealthy beyond all boundaries and all imagination. And so he, along with another group of secretive individuals, invested heavily in this cosmoid project. He himself put forward considerable sums of money into the project. And as I say, um, if you look around his, his own castle or even his bridge or on the walls of the castle, there's lots of images that are quite clearly alchemical. You know, you've got this image uh, in the Overton Castle painted on a wall of a serpent uh, entwined around the, the pole, which is an alchemical symbol. There's also images of the lion everywhere. Again, the cosmic lion is very important in the transmutation process in alchemy. So it's not an accident or a coincidence that we have all of these kinds of images. And when you examine the images, like the serpent round the, entwined round the staff, these are not something from the Bible. They are quite clearly Greek. Uh, and they are what you might call the Greek or the Hermetic Cadusis. And when you examine the Hermetic Cadusis, the symbol of the Hermetic Cadusis, uh, when you look at Overton Bridge, there is actually a Hermetic Cadusis on that bridge on both sides of it. And so the question really is, had Barn Overton, in a sense, as a Calvinist Christian, betrayed his own religion and embraced another god, namely the god Hermes, the god who created alchemy, the god who founded alchemy, and the god who made this magical process known to the world, did he embrace the hermetic gold-making gold magic which he thought would make him very rich? But of course, the dark side of alchemy, is in particular what some people call bad alchemy, is the idea that when men try to meddle with magic because they are greedy and they want to make countless riches, then they're dealing with the art of the fallen angels because alchemy was said to be given by fallen angels to mankind. And so was Baron Overton uh, engaged in working with uh, the art of the fallen angels? Yeah, and you, you mentioned that the image of Hermes can be found around at the house and the bridge. And in the book, you draw a connection between Hermes and the dogs jumping from the bridge. Can you go into that a little bit and what that connection may be? Well, the idea, uh, if you read some of the Greek uh, literature, where it talks about Hermes, that Hermes was said to be someone who was involved in a dog-killing curse, uh, who killed dogs. There was also other um, stories about Hermes um, where he punished animals because he didn't like them, dogs and things like that. There may be a connection if you believe the hermetic theory that in fact uh, there is a hermetic kind of curse hanging over this bridge. As I say, the hermetic casualty symbol is found on the bridge itself, which gives us a clue as to what Baron Overton was involved in. The various images round his castle, paintings and walls and all sorts of other things also seem to show evidence of this and we know for fact that down in the area known as Dumbuck 
Um, an enormous gold-making factory had been built down there known as the Cosmoid Factory, which he was involved in, which were actively engaged in these practices, which he himself attended, apparently, to witness the magic of the gold-making. And did any anything come out of the Cosmoid Factory? Did they ever actually produce anything of note? Well, it was said, according to the various records and literature, um, it is claimed that this uh, gold-making uh, magical production had actually been witnessed by Baron Overton and by Lord Kelvin and Dr. Alexander Shields and all those people, the investors who were involved in this project. And it was said that they had managed to, to do this. Although there are many reports in particular um, newspapers way back in time uh, that this was in fact a hoax, that Dr. Shields and Baron Overton and all these investors had never really done it. It was all one giant hoax. Uh, although it seems a rather strange hoax that people would invest uh, probably what would be millions of pounds today of their money if it was, in fact, something that wasn't true. I was just really impressed when I was reading through the book about all of the, the references to historical documents from so many different aspects of the story. How did you find all these documents and what was your kind of your process like for researching well, because in a sense, when I started to research the Overton Bridge mystery, this was what you would call a blank slate. It was a blank canvas. There was nothing there. And I had to somehow discover all of these historical facts. When you read a book like, for example, The Bermuda Triangle by Charles Berlitz, or even a book on the Loch Ness Monster, there are literally hundreds of books, or a book on the Roswell UFO incident, you know, there's countless books you can get the information from. But when I started on this mystery, there was nothing there. I had to somehow dig very deep and, and work very hard and very long to uncover the, these materials. And this involved all kinds of um, crazy things like going around housing estates, knocking on people's doors, speaking to people in pubs, taxi drivers going round universities, special collections departments, phoning councils, obtaining copies of people's wills. You know, it, it's just a never-ending stream of, of, of data. It took me years to find some of this stuff. Yeah, how long was the research period for you? Like, how many years did you spend before you started writing? Well, I mistakenly thought that I could do this in a couple of years. And um, <laughs> I was standing on this bridge and I thought, yeah, I can do this in two years, I'll, I'll write the story. But I was sadly mistaken. It actually took me 11 years in total to research and to write it. So it was a real long story. But when you realise that it took um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 10 years to write and publish Sherlock Holmes, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the story is just so incredible. I'm really glad that you, you coalesced all the information into a single pl oh, place to learn about it because it is just it's really amazing. Who, and so who currently owns the Overton House, and what is its use now? Well, Overton House actually um, is not owned by any one individual person. After the death of Baron Overton, the house was left to Douglas Campbell White, who was the nephew of Baron Overton. But with the advent of the Second World War, the cost spiralled out of all control, and he could not afford to keep the running of this enormous castle. So the house, Overton House, was gifted in perpetuity to the people of um, Dumbarton. There is a, a kind of common belief that 
the house is owned by one person, but it's really the people of Dumbarton uh, and his will that he left this house to. The current occupiers of Overton House are Bob and Melissa Hill, who run, I think it's the Christian Centre for Hope and Healing. And they're doing a terrific job helping women in crisis who have been abused. And they've worked extremely hard um, as a charity and require considerable expenses to, to keep the whole thing going. Um, Bob and Melissa are offering an extremely valuable service in Overton House to the community. And if any of your um, listeners feel like making a donation, just send it to Bob and Melissa Hill, Overton House, Dumbarton. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I know that there's actually other tragedies that have surrounded the area. It's not just the dogs jumping. Do you Are you able to touch on maybe some of the different tragedies over the time that have happened at or around Overton Bridge? Yeah, um, over the years, there, there have been, um, and I say over the years, I mean a lot over a long period of time, there have been various tragedies that have happened around the Overton Estate, apart from just the dogs um, leaping. If you go back in time to around 1902, and um, Baron Overton himself, who was uh, out with his friends on a day shooting at nearby Dumbowie Hill, I think it was a, a November afternoon, and he was there with a, a line of sportsmen and gamekeepers on a hill, uh, and he was there to do some, some shooting that day, when um, unexpectedly, um, Baron Overton uh, had a, a gun, uh, and uh, he somehow turned round, and as he bailed round, the gun went off, and he shot a young man called David Porterfield, who had worked at the Overton estate. It wasn't something that he seemed to have wanted to happen when he was asked what happened he said he just kind of felt like you know something had pulled the trigger uh, he didn't know why um, because he would never have intentionally shot David Porterfield but sadly David Porterfield was taken to the local cottage hospital where he died of his injuries this was a, a tragedy and it left Baron Overton you know stunned that he had killed this man but as I say it seemed to him that the gun had fired by itself he could not understand what had made him pull the trigger. It was a very strange incident. There were um, other incidents of dark forces um, at work around the Overton estate um, around 1932. Um, a man called Andrew Hutton, who was Overton's gamekeeper, he was also killed um, when he fell from the long crags uh, where the cliff face is around 60 feet deep. I think he had been standing on a, a ledge, a grassy ledge, and uh, he tried to shoot a, a hawk, and he lost his balance and fell over the ledge. Now, was this really just another accident, like Baron Overton's gun shooting accident, or, or was there some other dark um, forces at work here? There have been lots of strange deaths. Um, one happened to a man called Bill Swanson, who was a lance corporal in the army, and um, he was actually um, based down in a place called um, Tamworth, Tidworth in England, sorry. And he had come to Dumbarton uh, back in 1962 to visit his father. And one day he decided to take a 16-bore double-barreled shotgun to do some rabbit shooting at the Long Crags at Overton. But it would be a trip from which Bill Swanson would never return. And he seemed to vanish without a trace. No one knew where he was. And so the police and his relatives discovered the long crags near Overton Bridge in the hope of finding a clue why 
he had disappeared and they couldn't find him. Then they searched a wood near Overton Castle, Overton House, and his brother-in-law, um, Donald Blantyre, came across the gruesome discovery that he was dead and uh, he was had a shotgun lying nearby. The, the gun had been fired, but there was no indication of what had happened. He just seemed to be lying dead in the woods at Overton. Again, was this another tragic accident? But why would a man who had just had a newly born child want to kill himself? There was no reason why he would have done it. So there's lots of strange kind of deaths and unexplained deaths that have happened around Overton. People who have lived on the estate have been found dead or committed suicide and things like that. Um, there's been various um, suicides with people who were connected with the estate. And some people have, from these facts, ascertained the belief that maybe Overton carries some kind of dark curse. Could you talk about the story of, um, I know there was a more modern tragedy that happened with a, a baby and a father. Could you talk about that story and what happened with that around the bridge? Well, that, th- this particular story that you're, um, you're, you're referring to, this happened um, back a number of um, years ago. What actually happened that day was there was a young um, father who was uh, walking up in Overton and uh, he had with him his wife and his baby that day and it was 1994 and so he had just really gone out for a kind of walk with the, the child. When he got to Overton Bridge something began to unfold that no one could really have even kind of believed would happen. The father unexpectedly, you know, lifted the child up and hurled his own child over the parapets of the bridge. Now, this is a quite obviously disturbing and quite terrifying thing to happen. Uh, And um, when he threw the baby off the bridge, uh, it was said that he um, believed that his child was the Antichrist. And this led uh, the Glasgow Herald to uh, print the headline that father thought um, child was the devil or child thought baby was the devil and that headline went round the world now why had this terrifying strange incident happened well could it be that some dark forces had possessed Kevin Moy on that bridge that day enough to make him do something completely and uh, terrifying and, and totally out of character Was he being controlled by some presences on Overton Bridge? Later it was accepted that he was suffering from a mental illness Um, and that was the official verdict, although many people in the community believe to this day that it wasn't simply a case of mental illness, that perhaps there were some strange phenomena happening at Overton Bridge, some dark powers that seem to, uh, like a spider's web, have drawn Kevin Moy to this place to commit the darkest and horriblest of crimes. Why would he have gone to this specific location? There are many other places he could have gone to. Why Overton Bridge? It's a very, very strange tale. There are many different opinions about what happened on that terrible day. Around the same time this happened, someone in the village actually had a, a vision that may have connected to this terrible incident. Could you talk about the visions that Joan Thompson had? I spoke to Joan Thompson, who is a local woman who lived in the Bellsmire area of Dumbarton. And Mrs. Thompson was a church goer and a believer in the spiritual world. 
and she shared her story about a strange vision she encountered in 1994 on the very same day that the baby was thrown from Overton Bridge and killed. When this actually happened, what was very strange was that Joan Thompson was unaware that a baby had been thrown from the bridge because she had been sleeping and had awoken briefly when she encountered an overpowering vision that shook her. And standing before her, she observed a white figure clutching a baby. Unaware that a baby obviously had been hurled from Overton Bridge the same day, she was completely puzzled as to what this vision had meant or why indeed she had received it. Later, after hearing that a child had been thrown um, from the bridge, she took it to mean that the baby was now safe with God. The baby had died and went to heaven. Now, you could really legitimately ask, was this another example of Overton, you know, projecting supernatural dreams or visions into the minds of local people? Because this has happened to other people in the community, including myself, who have had extremely strange uh, dreams about Overton for no apparent reason. And then later, it becomes very clear why you were given these dreams or visions. So there's so many different stories about dogs jumping from the bridge. Could you highlight like one or two of the more notable stories that you've heard? Because there, there are so many stories about this, dog leaping stories, you know, there's, there's an endless amount. You know, in my book, uh, The Barn of Rainbow Bridge, Overton's Death Leaping Dog Mystery Unraveled, I cover probably around 30 to 35 different stories of people who have left. But in a, a, well, in a paperback book of that size, you really couldn't, you know, have much more. There are countless other stories that I've heard about that are not in the press. Countless other stories of people whose dogs have leapt who are not willing to discuss it. Um, but some of the, the stories that I could sort of relate to you that are um, quite well known. One would be perhaps the story of Billy Erskine, who was a man who worked with Allied Distillers in the whiskey business. Billy Erskine, he often visited Over Overton because he enjoyed the peaceful atmosphere and the scenery. And it was around 1993 when he had decided to go up to Overton with his uh, girlfriend at the time. And he took with him a five-year-old Welsh Springer Spaniel called Shane. As he was turning the corner, he was walking onto Overton Bridge. He was just having a nice chat, enjoying the warm country air in the summer, when suddenly he was facing unimaginable terror. And what he said was that suddenly... He just looked up and he saw the back end of his dog going over the parapet on the northwest end of the bridge and he heard the dog squealing. Now, he was totally shocked. He was not expecting this. He didn't know why it was happening. And Mr Erskine was beginning to swear. He could hardly believe what he was seeing. So he slid down the embankment uh, or the side of the, the bridge to get his dog because he thought perhaps the dog had died. But he was very lucky because his dog had hit branches on the way down and it survived and it had actually landed on a bush. He was amazed that the dog was, was really still alive. He, he just didn't know why this actually had um, happened to his, his dog um, at the time. There was no reason at all why um, his Springer Spaniel Shane would have done it. Now, what is strange about this particular story is that although this had happened to Billy Erskine, at a later date he acquired another dog 
and he took that dog up to Overton, and that dog's name was Cara. Although his other dog, as I say, had in fact jumped from the bridge and Shane had survived, when he got a new dog, he was wary of taking it up to Overton Bridge because he knew about the nightmare that had happened before. But when he took Cara up, his second dog, Cara put her paws on the bridge wall and the body tensed, drew back about to leap. The dog let out a chilling howl and a woman shrieked that was walking her own dogs across the bridge. And because these women screamed, it somehow stopped his dog leaping off the bridge. So he had a second dog that was also trying to climb off the same bridge and jump the 60 feet, you know, which is quite unusual. Um, so that happened to him. And then, of course, there was also, well, there's so many dog leaping stories, but there was also another um, very strange story um, that happened to a woman called um, Alice Trevorrow. And um, Alice Trevorrow um, had, in fact, lived in Dumbarton, and uh, she had decided to visit the bridge uh, one day, and it was 2014. She set off with her son, Thomas, uh, up to Overton, and her three-year-old tan and white Springer Spaniel called Cassie. It was just another day out. Cassie was enjoying her, her walk. Uh, as they approached the bridge, nothing seemed wrong at all. Um, and um, they had come out of a, a car. They were walking across the, the bridge when suddenly Cassie seemed to be staring up at something and um, there was nothing there. Then unexpectedly, Cassie leapt from the parapet of the bridge. It was let out a, a blood-curdling whine all the way down. Her paws and legs did not even touch the, the turrets. It was a spectacular jump, and she said to me that she had never experienced anything like it. So, um, again, her dog was particularly lucky because when her son spotted the dog, they went down and they got the dog, and the dog was, in fact, taken to a vet in Helensborough, and they thought the dog would not survive. And then the dog was taken to University of Glasgow Small Animals Hospital, and it had a CT scan, and they thought her pelvis was shattered, the hips torn. But miraculously, after a long period of time, Cassie thankfully did <laughs> survive. Now, what was strange about Alice's story was that Alice herself is a psychic medium. And um, Alice had shared with me that she had a number of dreams prior to her dog leaping off this bridge. And in the dream, um, she saw a castle door that she was banging on and she was running round to the castle door and asking for help that something had happened to her dog. And that's exactly what happened. She had never been to Overton, and when she went, her dog leapt off the bridge. She ran round the side of the castle and knocked at the door and asked for help. It was exactly what she had seen in three dreams prior to it happening. So what are, what are some of the prominent theories to explain what's happening at this bridge? There, there's lots of theories, countless theories, about this particular dog leaping um, mystery, um, which have arisen through decades to explain the strange dog leaping incidents at the bridge. As this is a short programme, I'll mention a couple of the most widely held scientific and rational theories which people around the world have embraced. And if we start with what's known as the scent theory, um, and this is a theory which was originally proposed by Dr David Sands, who's a canine expert, who had visited Overton Bridge several times and examined the mystery. And what he said was he believed it was the scent of mammals and in particular, one mammal 
namely the mink. And uh, he says that dogs that are crossing this bridge are picking up the scents of these mink that are living and residing around the bridge itself. And so when a dog walks across the bridge, it gets a whiff of the scent of the mink and whoof, it's over the edge of the bridge. And so this is a theory that I say many people ha think has um, offered a solution to um, the dog leaping mystery. I myself uh, do not believe that the scent theory and the theory about the mink holds any credibility. I think it's uh, fairly uh, reasonable to realise that, in fact, mink are not to blame for the dog leaping riddle at all. First of all, many local people who have been walking under the bridge for most of their lives, none of them have ever seen a mink there. And there are many people I've spoken to have also told me that they've been walking with maybe five or six dogs uh, under that bridge and they've never once seen a mink in 30, 40 years. And that is something that's well known. Furthermore, the mink themselves are mainly nocturnal animals, which means that they only come out at night. They do not come out during the hours of daylight on land or water. And so we know that, without exception, all of the dogs that leapt from Overton Bridge did so during the hours of daylight. And so this appears to rule out the mink eh, as the culprit in this particular crime. You could also add to that as well that all of the dogs that leapt from Overton Bridge eh, did so on calm and windless days. You know, there weren't any storms blowing. And so, in order for a dog to catch the scent of a mink, the wind would have to carry the scent from below the bridge because it's a big bridge, it's 60 feet. It would have to carry the scent, the wind right up and down onto a dog's nose. Uh, but if there is no wind and the scent cannot be carried up, then it seems that this again rules out the idea that mink are to blame. And so the moral of the tale really is no wind, no scent, therefore no leaping dogs. Which, which theory do you prescribe to? Like, what do you think the answer is here? Well, there are many, as I say, scientific theories. The mink scent theory is, is probably the most popular one. Although, as I've said, I've got very good, strong objections which seem to show that this is not the case. The theories that I prescribe are all supernatural or paranormal because I've interviewed enough people who have had supernatural experiences while walking on the Overton estate. I myself have had supernatural experiences while standing on Overton Bridge. So I can only go by the experience of, of real people who have had genuine experiences, and I myself being one of them. And when you have real factual experiences like that, then it seems to me that this is something that must be taken very seriously. And there have been countless ghostly sightings around Overton. There have been countless people who have experienced strange presences at the bridge. Um, many people have also observed strange energies around the bottom of the bridge, around the ground itself. Um, lots of uh, psychic groups and ghost hunting teams have recorded ghostly activity on the bridge. So this seems to suggest that there is something going on there. And it's not something that can be explained entirely by rational explanation. So this will be my, my last question for you, but could you maybe paint a picture and just kind of describe the landscape around the bridge, the house, and what the bridge itself looks like? Well, the bridge itself, as I said, it's a kind of gothic-looking structure. And this is a, a bridge that's 135 feet long. 
it was a baronial structure which was built in 1895 and it's made of large tarnished stained blocks of granite. It has on each side of it parapets which overhang the bridge walls and these parapets were originally designed as passing places so that when Baron Overton's horse-driven carriage came across the bridge you could walk into one of these little parapets and not be hit by the horse and carriage. And the bridge is, although when it's when it was built was sparkling and radiant, it's now a bit dull and drab and because it's been standing for well over a century. It sits uh, in the bleak, uh, windswept and rainy part of Scotland, which is the west of Scotland, at the very foot of the Long Crags, which is a huge craggy rock. Um, which runs right along in front of um, Overton Castle. And so the bridge is, is like something um, from a Hammer House of Horror film, as I said. It's like a, an Edgar Allan Poe chiller. It's like something you would see in a, a horror uh, story. The house, the Overton Castle, as it was originally known, is equally as spooky. It's a large castle-type building. It's got towers and made of the same stonework that the bridge was made of. In fact, all of the stones that built the bridge in the castle, they all came from a nearby quarry. And when they were built, um, a specially constructed railway line had to be built right up through the country, right up to where the bridge was and where the castle was, in order for the workmen to construct these huge edifices. The house itself is one of these uh, houses that probably uh, would cost uh, hundreds of millions of pounds to build. It's a, a, a spectacular, majestic Victorian um, castle. And when you go to Overton and you stand there um, and you look at the bridge and the castle, it's like being in a time warp. It's like going back in time to another world almost, you know. It's like being somewhere else. It has this kind of atmosphere, you know, this kind of ancient Gothic type of atmosphere. But the other thing to say about this place, and it is a very strange phenomenon, is that Overton is like a double-sided coin uh, because when you visit Overton, one day it, it can feel beautiful, you might feel happy and euphoric, and uh, you might feel blissful, but just in the flick of a, a coin, like turning over a coin, on the flip side, it just changes the atmosphere, just like that, like the flick of a switch, and suddenly it's dark, it's one of terror, it's one of horror, and it seems to connect humans and animals and I myself have witnessed people standing on that bridge who one minute they were fine they were talking away and then the next minute they were filled with terror and shouting I've got to get away from here and they ran away and just couldn't bear to be there so Overton is like a double-sided coin it's a place where good and evil seem to exist in the same location in equal propensity and that is a very very unusual mystery as far as these sort of things go. Maybe I can just ask one more quick question. What is the the general local consensus on the bridge? Do people fear it and avoid it? Is it thought of an urban legend? Like, how do people in Dumbarton feel about it? Well, it's a bit like, um, as I say, Bermuda Triangle. When you go there, you'll find many people who just think it's an urban myth. Um, same as Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. A lot of people don't believe that either. Personally, I believe in Bigfoot. I believe in the Loch Ness Monster and I also believe in the Overton dog leaping mystery because they are based on factual reports that witnesses themselves, you know, people have seen Bigfoot over many, many years. People have 
um, seen the Loch Ness Monster, they've seen things coming out the water. People have seen dogs jumping off this bridge. In fact, people have seen their own dogs jumping off this bridge. So quite often people say to me, oh, that's a myth or it's an urban legend, and I have to inform them, well, no, I've spoken to countless dog owners whose dogs have leapt from the bridge, and that is 100% fact. And so when you're dealing with a, a thing like this that's based on fact, it's not based on fiction, then even from a scientific point of view, they have to accept that this is something that is happening, but personally I do not believe a scientific explanation can provide an answer to the mystery. We must look into the area of the supernormal and the supernatural because there is something lurking around Overton Bridge that's been there a very long time and still exists there to this day that is haunting animals and causing them to leap over these walls and parapets. Let us know what you think is happening at Overton Bridge on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.